Welcome to my testimony and today we have uh, we have the principal of our school, our very own church school, um, Robert Stevenson. Welcome to my testimony, Robert. Hey, hey, nice to be here tonight. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's really good to have you on. Uh, I know you have a very unique story and I uh, can't wait to hear it and uh, for you to share it with, with our uh, community. It's a pleasure to know you and know you as a friend, and um, it's a pleasure to have you here with us uh, at Plantation and with our um, school. So welcome again to my testimony. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this. So before we get into my testimony, let's bow our head for prayer. Father, we thank you again for this lovely day that you have given us. Now we're in the evening time. We just thank you even more. And uh, we just pray that as we listen to Robert's uh, testimony today, that your, your Holy Spirit will just bless us, our hearts will be filled, and the words that he shares with us will just be something that we can Take with us to help us grow and to learn and to continue to be closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so I know it's Principal Stevenson, <laughs> having spoken to you so many times. Can you tell us a little bit about your story, how it started, where you were born? We know you're not born in America, so where you were born and how you were raised and where you were raised. Well, I was, I was born way back in 1965 in a little town called Butterworth in South Africa. My father was an English, was the English teacher at Bethel College, our Seventh-day Adventist College, in the what was then the Transkei province of South Africa. Now it is the Western Cape province of South Africa. Okay. Um, the, the, the people in, in that area were from majority from the Klaza tribe, and um, the the Adventist College had been working there in many many years. Incidentally, Nelson Mandela is also somebody who grew up in the Transkei Province, and he is also okay. from the called the tribe. A wonderful people, uh, incredibly musical. Um, my love of African music was 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 instilled in me there. My father helped direct the choir, and even though I was incredibly young then. I still have very vivid memories of the students from the college after church. They would sing in four-part harmony as they left the church. And this was spontaneous as they left the church and headed from the church to their dormitories in the evening. Um, Beautiful. There, there are, are, are many experience, a couple of experiences of my life being saved by those students. <laughs> uh, my, my parents were definitely free-range parents, and so I would wander off even at the age of 18 months and two years. Once I could walk, mm. I was out exploring the college. And, um, and I, I, sometimes I tell children's stories of, of the experiences that I had and, and the times that the college students uh, saved my life mm. from, 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 from those experiences. And it was probably an experience that I had at, at Bethel College that really um, set the course for my life as a, um, as a worker for God. Right. Because, um, you know, a lot of people don't know that Southern Africa is as far away from the equator as like northern and central Tennessee. Oh. And it gets cold there. All right. Yes, it um, yeah. You know, and that's something that, that a lot of people think all of Africa is hot. hot. Right. But not, but not South Africa. In fact, um, in the Cape Province where I grew up, uh, the Southern Cape Province, they'd get snow on the mountains um, mm. in, in the wintertime. Mm. And um, it was a, a cold winter day. And um, my parents had an electric heater that they would heat uh, the room where I played. And I remember my mom, I was playing with blocks. I remember my mom going and telling me, now don't touch this heater. Um, it will hurt you if you touch it. It's hot. But, you know, being poor, the, the, the heater, and it was one of those old electric element heaters, and it had mm -hmm. two 
elements that would glow red and then right. a reflective right. shield, a mm -hmm. polished re reflective shield. You guys are nodding your head like, like, you, like know, we know. you remember those days, yeah. right? Don't, don't, don't probably, know, she, England, she knows, she's yeah. from England. You know from England. Yeah, I'm from England. Antigua, man. The only heat I know is the sun. <laughs> they were 220 volts. Mm. Um, and, and I remember looking at it and one of the elements was, was not working. It was gray. The other one was red. Okay. And I remember thinking in my little head, very being a curious child, I know that red is hot and I shouldn't touch it. <laughs> right. But I wondered if the one that was gray was hot. I just hot. wondered. And okay. I would play with my blocks and I, then I would look right. over and say, is the gray one hot? And, 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 and finally my, my, um, my curiosity got the best of me. And I reached my little hand in there in between. It had like these, these uh, sort of uh, uh, a metal grate in front of it, but it was not small enough to stop me from sticking my little hand in there. Mm. Stuck my little hand in there. And I remember clearly, it was almost like, it was like a blue flash in my mm. head. Mm. And then I didn't remember anything afterwards. And my mother just heard a grunt from from the living room and she decided that she was washing dishes in the kitchen right to, to check on me and i was completely wrapped around this heater 220 volts um i was about two years old wow and um and you know the difference between 110 and 220 is huge it's and 220 huge. the way the amperage is in england and south africa it doesn't throw you you know, 110, when you touch it, it actually moves your hand away. Right. 220 actually grabs you and holds you. Mm. And so she ran and she unplugged the, um, the electric heater. Now, Bethel College back in those days was, was way off of the beaten path on un, unimproved roads. There, were no, there was no 911. There was no ambulance right. to call. My father had an old early 1950s Chevrolet that didn't even have a key. You just used a screwdriver to start it. Okay. And uh, right. he ran and called my dad. I mean, my parents were poor, man. And the mission field back in those days, they didn't pay. And American missionaries, they got paid better. My parents were not American missionaries. They were South Africans working in South Africa. All right. You all know, right. That was their home country. They, 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 they didn't get the bursaries and all that stuff that the rich American missionaries got. And so... They put me in the car. My heart had stopped. I was dead mm. to all intents and purposes. Wow. They had to drive over the, over the roads. It took some time. I don't know how long it took. The distance was some time. And they got me to the hospital. And, and for no scientific reasons, the doctors were able to revive me. Wow. Um, and so I've, I, I was raised... And this is common of most people that had have experienced near death experiences like like mine. I realized um, as I was told that story growing up, and that story was was left an indelible mark because I actually had the finger that I used to touch that with was mm -hmm. permanently scarred. Okay. Um, in fact, when it healed because of the way they wrapped it up. They should have wrapped it up with the finger straight. They wrapped it up with the finger crooked. So the, the finger on my left hand was crooked like this growing up. Wow. Ah. I can straighten it now because I had plastic surgery later. And you can see, if you look carefully, oh, you can yes. see yes. the scarring. You can see yes. the scarring. Okay. Yes. That, that, that happened from way back then. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, so I, I'd, I'd ask my mom to tell me the story of my finger. And she told me. And, and I realized, and my parents didn't really put a lot of burden on me. To say, you know, you've got to work for the Lord. They didn't do that, but I had mm. the sense that I was alive for a reason. Yes, mm. yes. And that the Lord had something for me to do for Him. And so, all of my life was was grounded in that decision. Um, my parents did come to the United States shortly after that mm -hmm. um, for my father to get his master's degree at Andrews University. And while we we're in the United States, I went to the Children's Hospital in Chicago where I had plastic surgery to straighten out my finger. Then we went back to South Africa. Okay. Okay. Um, and so there was that time when we were at Andrews. Um, I, I, was, I, I briefly went to school in the United States. Um, 
And then uh, I did first grade in the United States in an integrated classroom in New Jersey, interestingly enough, and then went back to South Africa. Um, and South Africa was, was, uh, was another adjustment for me um, because we arrived back in South Africa in the um, 1970s during the Carter administration. Mm -hmm. And that was when South Africa was being pressured greatly by the United States and the rest of the world to end what was a very oppressive and immoral um, apartheid government that was being run there, that was very oppressive, right. that was unfair, that right. was uh, treating South Africa's mm -hmm. um, black population in, in, in incredibly cruelly. Mm -hmm. um, and as I arrived back as a young child, I was seven years old back in, in the United States, um, I was seen as the evil American. Right. And was beat up on a regular basis, not just by children, but by adults. Wow. It was it, it was an interesting transition. Um, and, and, and everybody decided they were going to beat the little American kid. And I was born in South Africa. The whole time I'd been in the United States, I'd identified as a South African. I thought I was coming home, but because of politics and because we had spent that short time in the United States, mm. um, I, I, was, I was bullied and victimized a lot. Um, uh, especially in the first couple of years that we were back. Um, during that time, to make things more interesting for me, my mother, who had been raised on a farm in what is now Zimbabwe, it was Rhodesia back then, by older parents. My, my, my mother never knew her, their, her parents without white hair. Mm. My grandmother was actually in her early 50s when my mother was born. Oh, wow. Um, and so my mother was actually raised by the Matabele, that was the tribe. And the Matabele tribe were actually, mis were actually displaced Zulus that were first forced north as the Boers were moving north um, into South Africa. And so mm -hmm. they spoke Zulu, uh, um, but my mother spoke, but my mother was fluent in all the Southern African, African dialects growing oh. up uh -huh. on the farm. Wow. Um, Okay. She spoke Mashona and Madabele, which are the two major tribal languages in Zimbabwe, before she spoke English. Mm -hmm. um, she learned English later on um, and um, was, was essentially raised uh, by an African woman side by side with my grandmother because my grandmother was old and, and right. she, 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 uh, she, she didn't, she, she couldn't, especially in those days where you didn't have formula and all those things mm. um, like, like you do now, uh, she needed help. Right. Um, right. So when we arrived at Helderberg college, my mother was put in charge first of the laundry. And um, one day she came into the laundry and she had a, 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 a and back in those days in South Africa, there were areas that were designated as, as areas where the Caucasians would live. Mm -hmm. And if an, a native African person wanted to live in that area, they had to have a work permit and, and have permission to be there by the state right. that was applied for by, by the institution they were working for. And mm -hmm. so they would have to leave their families. It was terrible. They'd have to leave their families in the Transkei, which was the, now the, 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 the Western Cape where my parents had worked, and then go and work there, try to make some money, and they made pitifully low wages, uh, and then send money home to take care of their families um, right. back wow. home. And so one day she came in, and, and the, the, her, her, her worker, I'll never forget him, because he was just a, a, a prince of a man, incredibly good-looking, uh, an amazing physical specimen of, of, of a Zulu man. Okay. And his name... And, and, uh, my, my mother came in one day and she just saw him disappear. And he said, Mrs. Stevenson, please step out for a minute. And she stepped out and then she came in and he, he was bathing himself in the warm water at the laundry before he started work. Oh, wow. And my mother, his name was Kenyas. And my mother said, Kenyas, why are you bathing here? Why aren't you bathing at the dormitory? Because they had dormitories for the, right. For the workers. Right. Mm -hmm. And that day it was about 40 degrees. Mm. They had no heat in the dormitories and no hot running water, just cold water. And he said, Mrs. Stevenson, I want to be clean when I do the laundry for the students. I want to smell good when I work for you, but it's just too cold. Right. Mm. And, and so my mother and an American SOS worker, a retired worker who was volunteering at the college called Mrs. Berger, they got together 
and raised the, the money to get hot water for the African workers who worked at Helderberg College. Oh. Wow. And my mother actually hired somebody to, de to develop a hot water heater that she used on her farm in Zimbabwe. And what they actually did is they used, used pipe and they just put it in a great big square and they just wound the pipe around and around and around and around. Mm -hmm. And then they would put it inside of a, of, of a kiln and then they would run the water through it and it would it would Brilliant. provide endless hot water as long as there was yeah. a fire in the kiln. Right. It wasn't right. very expensive to make. It was pretty low technology, and they would actually use dried out maize corn cobs to to, to as as the as the fuel to fuel it, which was generally thrown away at the farm so they could get it for free. It burned nice and clean and uh, and provided hot water. It wasn't. And then they paid to have the hot water plumbing put plumbing. into the, the dormitory so that the men there could have hot water. Wow. Just doing something simple like that in mm -hmm. apartheid South Africa in those days could have you branded as a communist. Oh, wow. wow. And so my mother was just trying to be helpful and take care of people who she genuinely had love for. Mm -hmm. um, they, they, these, these weren't the others for her. These were like her family. Mm. And 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 so you know the thought of people who she cared about dealing with the South African cold in the wintertime. You've got to understand that the water coming through those pipes in the wintertime was yeah. basically just snow runoff from yeah. the mountains. Right. That's what it was. Right. So it was coming through the pipes at about thirty-five to forty degrees. Wow, that's cold. Of course. Okay. Mm. And, and so they, they, her and Mrs. Berger, they took care of that. So Mrs. Berger was volunteering for a year. She just left. And, um, and my, my mother continued working at the college and the university. She went from the laundry to work in the cafeteria. She became head of the food service operation there at the school. And she had a couple of workers that worked for her there. And she discovered how, how little these men were making. So she organized a, a, a group of, of, of women and people in the community mm -hmm. to be able to, for people to donate clothing that their children had outgrown mm -hmm. so that when these men went home to visit their families, mm -hmm. they would have these bundles of clothing to share with their communities, with their villages, and with their, with their families. You do something nice like that back in those days, mm -hmm. and you could be considered a communist. Wow. Um, and, and so, and, and so just, 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 just doing those kinds of simple things, um, unfortunately got my parents, um, especially my mother who, uh, was very outspoken. My father was a little, uh, more quiet. He was head of the English department there at the school, but he was always very, very supportive and, and worked side by side with my mother. But my mother was very vocal when she saw people getting hurt mm. and saw people being oppressed. And, um, she just wanted people to be treated fairly. Right. That, that, that's all she asked. Just mm -hmm. treat people just as people. Right. Um, my father wanted to transition out of, and my, fa my family is an interesting family because the Stevenson family in South Africa is kind of like the Maxwell family is in the United States. My mm -hmm. grandfather was the first president of the Southern African Union. He was one of the greatest evangelists in South Africa. He, he established more churches in that country than anybody else in the history of the Adventist church. Wow. Um, and he, my grandfather had six sons, no daughters, six sons, mm. five of the six all became pastors. Wow. And, and, and the one of them that didn't become a pastor, he's actually, uh, is, uh, has been a lecturer at, at Southern Adventist university. So all of them involved with church work. Okay. Um, and so, you know, when, when, um, my, my, my uncle Hugh was in charge of the, um, the health mission, the health message in South Africa, um, my, my, uh, before he passed away, um, my uncle Ernest was the pastor of the Heldenberg college church. My father wanted to stop teaching, um, English and mm -hmm. become a pastor. Okay. And my father had a friend who sat on the conference executive committee who said, Brian, they're going to give you a church because you want to be a pastor, but they're intentionally giving you a church that we know will destroy you oh. because of the uh, stance that you and your wife have taken to help the indigenous population of South oh, wow. Africa. Wow. Um, we then um, were, were given a tip that it was quite possible that we were being actually watched on a higher governmental level. Mm. And 
So um, my father at that point decided that we should probably um, leave South Africa to keep us children safe right. as well as for the safety of the family. Right. Um, right. And so um, I, I'll never forget, he sent my mother and my sister on ahead to Johannesburg where my, aunt, my mother's sister Hazel lived. And my father and I went and, and the last thing my father did before we left South Africa was he preached at the Good Hope Church. Mm. which is a church in District 6 um, in, in the Cape Flats, of, uh, which is a, 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 an African township. Uh, back then, it was an African township um, in, in Cape Town. And he preached there. We got on an airplane before anybody could nab us. We mm. flew to Johannesburg. We got wow. on another plane. We flew to the United States. Wow. Um, which and, which, uh, which state did you come to when you came to the United States? To the United States, we came to Berrien Springs, Michigan. Okay. Because my dad wanted to go to seminary because he was an intent on becoming a pastor. Okay. So I was about, thir- I, I think I, I was 13 going on 14. We arrived back in the United States. Okay. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a huge transition. Um, I, I spoke a very different, I, I spoke very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been, I had gone to the South African school system back then was, was uh, again, and this is similar to those of us who have moved here from Jamaica, was a British system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so the whole style of education was very different. Yeah. And um, so adjusting to, unfortunately, what the lowest standards were of education in the United States. And, it, and it's sad to say that in the United States, the greatest country in the world had a lower standard of education than yeah. we had in South okay. Africa. Right. But it is what it is, mm. um, and 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 so I they they put me in the eighth grade. They should have put me straight in ninth grade. They put me in the eighth grade, and I just did nothing in the eighth grade. I just coasted because I, I, I they couldn't teach me anything. You, um, but in the eighth you're grade, bo- you're bored, right? I was I was bored stiff. I was bored stiff. I I, I you know they were it was, they were nice. They were the kids were nice. Um, you know, my, my, the one thing I can say for my transition from South Africa to the United States is the kids were nicer. No one wanted to beat me up okay. um, because I had come from South Africa. They were just very curious okay. about South Africa. Right. Mm. And the first guy to befriend me, his name was um, Charles Anthony Maurice Weathersby III. <laughs> and he was the coolest kid I had ever met. He was African-American. And he decided that since I was African-American too, I was uh-huh. going to be his best friend. Oh, wow. And, 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 oh, wow. and so we became best friends. We became best friends all the way through through, through elementary school, high school, um, and then and, and through college, we were inseparable. Right. In fact, um, I went to Andrews Academy for two years. That was a bit of a challenge. When I went up to boarding school at Cedar Lake Academy, he went with me. Mm. My father was his pastor. My father had become the associate pastor at the village church at that time. Right. Anthony went with me. Okay. And um, I really was able to get a very clear picture of what it was like to be African-American in the United States through Anthony. Mm. Because I would be ostracized many times. You know, some people think the northern states are so much better than the southern states right. when it comes to racial integration. Uh-huh. Michigan is just northern Mississippi. I mean, it was it was right. it was it was pretty horrible. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I remember being um, ostracized in certain circles because my best friend was Anthony, mm-hmm. and um, about, especially at Cedar Lake Academy, um, mm-hmm. which was was not as well at integrated schools Andrews Academy was at that time. Mm-hmm. But Anthony and I stuck together. We we just stuck together. In fact, he was the um, the only African-American guy in my wedding, and I was the only white guy in his wedding. And okay. we were both very, very proud of that. Right. Um, right. You know, we, we were both each other's groomsmen. We were there for each other. And he, is, he has um, moved right up the ranks in, in the United States police force. He now is a captain in the police force in Denver, and he's in charge of their cyber, um, uh, their, their, their cyber uh, division for the Denver Police Department. Nice. And he, he, uh, nice. Him and I used to make fun of people who had a lot of kids, uh-huh. but he has 10 kids. Uh, he, has, he has 10 kids? He has 10 children. 10 children. And I will tell you, his beautiful wife, she's just as beautiful now as the day they got married. She wow. wow. She's absolutely amazing. Love them. Love them. Haven't, 
haven't been able to see him face to face for years, but 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 I, I would love to get out to Denver and see him again. Right. But through that whole experience um, of of, a, of adapting to cultures and trying to figure out what was right and 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 and, and figure out how to fit in, the United States culture was so much um, was so much more of a challenge to me because um, in South Africa, everything was divided up and there were clear rules and you understood right. when okay. you were out of bounds and when you were in bounds. Okay. For better or for worse, right. you knew. In the United States, you're always bumping into the edge of the box and getting electrocuted for it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a challenging society. And, and, and I know that, that, that as, as, I, as I saw Anthony's experience and experienced it with him and, and saw you know, the, the, the looks that people gave him and the way they treated him, and he was as fine a human being as you'll find anywhere on the planet. Right. Um, and, and, and he was always bumping up against it. And, I, and sometimes I thought, you know, Anthony, you'd be better off in South Africa because at least the rules are written down. Right. And you don't have to think, how should I act in this store as opposed wow. to that store? And how should I act in this neighborhood as opposed to that neighborhood? And, and you know, it, it, it was, it, it was eye opening for me. And I value the education I got with my best friend uh, growing up. Mm. Uh, and, and so that helped shape me and mold me into, because there are people in our lives, and this goes back to sort of our, our, our journey, there are people in our lives that God puts there for a purpose. Right. Yep. And, and yep. don't think for a minute that the people in your life as, you, as a Christian are just there randomly. Right. They're there to teach you something. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Anthony was able to teach me and we were able to laugh with each other and laugh at each other and, 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 and be comfortable with our differences with each other mm-hmm. um, because we could take for granted that whatever was said was out of love and appreciation for each right. other. And, right. and, and, and those are the kinds of friends we should always reach out for and, and develop um, and have. And, um, so I, I ended up after high school, I went to Andrews University mm-hmm. and I chose Andrews University intentionally um, because um, I, I did know about Southern Adventist University. But when I looked at it, Southern Ad- Adventist University, I was uncomfortable with because it did not have the kind of diversity that Andrews University had. Oh, okay. um, on any given Sabbath morning, I could experience any kind of a church service from anywhere in the world. I just had to know what building to go into. Right. And so, you know, I, I knew that Lamson Hall Chapel had the most amazing Caribbean church service on Sabbath. And mm-hmm. Pioneer Memorial Church would have, you know, your, your very, very traditional high church. And, and Dwight Nelson's sermons were amazing. And, and there was no, and Andrews University is still that way. There's no one racial group that's a majority. It just, it just isn't. We're all mixed up together. And um, I became the, um, the RA an RA at Andrews, a residence hall assistant on the hall called First East. Okay. And this is why I'm so comfortable in South Florida, because First East was 90% Caribbean. Most of the guys on that hall were Jamaicans. Got you. And and I had so much fun with those guys. So much fun with with, with my Jamaican guys that that I'd been put in charge of by by the dean. And then my, my... fellow RA on that hall, because there were, there were about there were about 130 guys on that hall. Um, my fellow RA was Sanjeev Sukumaran, and he was, he was from Sri Lanka. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we worked together with those guys. And so right. we, we just had a ball. We just right. had a ball. So, so, so let me ask you real quick. That's, that's why your preaching style is like that. Your preaching style is pretty Caribbean, man. You, you know, that's just because I'm African-American. Oh. <laughs> That's what that is. You know what? You're right. You you, you know what's crazy? You're more African American than me. (laughs) Yes. You know, I I was born I was born there. So you know, my my family actually has lived in Africa for five generations. My my mother's people, the Hans, were the uh, were the administrators of the German colonies in Africa. Not good people, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, Germans and colonies in in Africa, that was what is nowadays uh, uh, Namibia and Tanzania prior to World War I. 
Mm. Um, after World War I, the British took over those colonies and, and became protectorates. And what is now Namibia was actually a protectorate of South Africa. Mm. And uh, then uh, Tanzania was, was, was a British protectorate until uh, the 1960s when they, when they were given full independence. Right. Um, and, and then my father's relatives were penniless Irish royals mm. that came to the colonies to, uh, to try to uh, make their fortunes. Right. Mm and uh became you know missionaries and coal porters and and uh not just missionaries for the adventist church but missionaries for um for other churches as well my father's family goes back to the 12th century we're actually hmm. descendants of the uh the prince of orange of ireland oh, okay so okay so we're responsible for all that uh all that division between the Catholics and the Protestants. Oh, yeah. uh, yes. My father's people were the Protestants, right. the Orangemen, and then the Catholics, which were the Greens. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, so, so we're involved with, with, with our own fair share of making the world a miserable place. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> you're, you're, part, you're part of the, the original troublemaker. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. There were, and, and there were Scots-Irish people, and they were called the Covenanters. And and um, highly Calvinistic mm -hmm. uh, group of people back in those days. So I, that, that that's a bit of my, my lineage going way back um, wow. on both sides. Right. So so when you know so in college I decided I wanted to be a boys dean because I just loved the, the youth ministry and mm -hmm. I did start out in the pre seminary program. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna make a, a confession here. I couldn't deal with the Greek. I tried. I even had a Greek guy on my hold. <laughs> Harry Karipados. I said, Harry, help me with this Greek. It's all Greek to me. And Harry, look at this. He said, Rob, I don't understand this Greek either. This is crazy Greek. I can't help you. And so I, 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 I tried and I tried and I studied and I walked around with my flashcards and I did everything and I couldn't do the Greek. So I dropped out, changed my major to psychology with a, with a double with, with religion and decided I was going to be a boys dean and go into youth ministry that way. Oh, so okay. That's, what I, okay that's what i did i was i was um, i was wondering why you never became a pastor you, yeah because yeah, you well yeah. that's right I, I couldn't do the greek couldn't <laughs> do the greek and to be an adventist you've got to do greek and hebrew and the way my poor dyslexic brain works i just couldn't do it right. um so so i mean if i had have been able to learn greek in, in, in a natural way of learning how to speak it and then write it the way people learn normal languages, mm -hmm. I could do it. But learning it from an academic viewpoint, right? I, 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 it just I, being a dyslexic puts you at a disadvantage there. There are other advantages. I can read things backwards really well and upside down, oh. but 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 the other stuff, you know, not so much. Um, right. So I became a boys dean, and I started out in the on the Navajo reservation at Holbrook SDA Indian, Indian School. And then I worked at Bass Memorial Academy in Southern Mississippi. And uh, after, a, after a, about three years at Bass Memorial Academy, the conference president asked me if I would be the vice principal of the school. There was a change in administration. They wanted okay. to make me vice principal. Right. And I was pretty young. I was like 25, I think, 25, oh, wow. 26. Um, and I didn't want to. I loved being a boys' dean, so I told him no. I said, no, I, I'm, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Um, the next day, he wanted to take me and my wife out to eat at a restaurant in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And so, and I loved Pastor Greek. His name was Jim Greek. I loved him. And he said, and he took us out to a nice restaurant. We ordered whatever we want. We're sitting and talking. I wondering what's going on. He said, Rob, we really want you to be vice principal. Okay. I said, no, I don't want to be. After three meals, I, I got three good meals out of the deal. <laughs> wow. I finally broke down and said, okay, Pastor Greek, I, I will, I will, I'll become vice principal. And I got my master's degree at University of Southern Mississippi and I became a school principal. Wow. But my, but while I was Holbrook, that was my first school where I was boys dean. Um, my youngest boy was five. My oldest boy was 20 and mm -hmm. I was 23 in, in the boys dorm there. Okay. Um, because on the Navajo reservation, it's such, so vast and the schools are so far apart that buses really can't pick the kids up. So if you want to get an education, you've got to go to boarding school. Go to boarding school. Um, and then they'll either be in a Christian boarding school or a state-run boarding school, but they've got to go to boarding school. Wow. Um, and there, while I was there, the, the three years I was at that school, they didn't have a pastor. The pastor left as I was coming in and they needed somebody to preach. Now, I had I'd done pretty well in the... Um, 
in, in college, in, in the speech classes you've got to take in your liberal arts education. Right. But I've never really preached a sermon. I've done lots of worships and things like that as an RA, but actually preaching a sermon, I'd, I'd never done it before. Mm. Um, so they asked me to preach one Sabbath. And so I sat down and created a sermon. And of course, I, I've grown up around preachers and all those kinds of things. Right. Um, and the way you hear me preach today mm. is what just happened naturally. It's what the Lord did. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I, I, I had, I, I actually, and, and I don't know if I should admit this right now, <laughs> but I actually learned more about how to preach listening to stand-up comics. Oh, wow. Wow. than I have from other preachers because it's all about the delivery. Mm. And you see, um, if you can understand how to de deliver a story right. in a way that people are going to remember it and have it just off kilter enough so that okay. people are going to want to pay attention to it, right? right. Mm -hmm. that's the secret. And they don't teach that to you in homiletics. No yeah. one's going to tell you, okay, watch Eddie Murphy and then create a sermon based on his stand-up comic routine. Okay? They, won't, they won't do that, I, I promise. Not but, at all. But, you know, for me, even now, I watch, you know, on, so, sometimes on Facebook, you can get these dry bar comics and they're, right. they're all really, really clean. But I don't necessarily watch it for the content. I'm analyzing their delivery. The delivery, right. Mm -hmm. The delivery. Yeah. Because you can have the absolute best information ever. But if the delivery isn't right, mm -hmm. no one's going to remember it. And what's good, what good is the sermon if nobody remembers it by the time they eat lunch on Sabbath afternoon? Exactly. That's you. That's exactly. you. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so that's me. So the first time I preached, I, 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 I was more... I was more influenced by the stand-up comics okay. than, I, than I was. And it's not that my sermon was silly or trivial or, 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 or funny, although if you can get people to laugh and then nail them with the truth at the other end, yes. they're going to remember it better. Yes, that's exactly. true. Um, exactly. It's true. Yeah. And, and so if you ever watch me preach, you've got to think about that and say, okay, what's he doing here? Well, how is he winding this up? How is he going to make us laugh and then make me regret laughing afterwards? Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, right. And, and that's and, and that's how how the Lord again will will move you and mold you into what He wants you to do. And sometimes we've got to think outside of the box yes. in order to help people get into it. Okay. And so don't think that man, every single thing that has happened in my life isn't important, and I've got to wait for that one super important event to be able to make me or mold me. It can be a number of very very ordinary mundane events that is preparing you to be able to do something. Yeah, absolutely. Right. absolutely. And so from there, I, I just started preaching and I decided I liked it. I was preaching all over the Navajo reservation and preaching on the Navajo reservation is kind of interesting. I remember one, one Sabbath, I was driving up from Holbrook to, to, um, to Chinle, Arizona on the Navajo reservation. And I drove through this Canyon and the, the, the road went through this canyon. It was a paved road, but up on the top edges of the Canyon, they'd been having peyote ceremonies all night. Oh, wow. now, I, I, now, here in Florida, we know about doing shrooms, right? Well, peyote is, is kind of a fungus, and it, 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 it helps, and, and they believe that it brings them closer to God. My, my Navajo kids hated doing it. It always made them feel sick. But they said one of the weird things about it is when you do it, you see animated cartoons in your head. Well, when you're driving a truck in the morning and, and, and the, the air from, from, the, from the, the top of the valley gets sucked down into the canyons, uh -huh. I'm driving through peyote right. smoke. Uh -huh. All the way on the way to church, um, and I wasn't sure I was going to make it to church wow. because I, I had a pretty good buzz going on by the time I got <laughs> to the other end of that canyon, and, and and I was seeing things that I knew were not real. Wow! Okay, when you see wily coyote run past your truck as you're driving through the desert, you know that that's not true. I'm saying this isn't true. This is a coyote. It's not true. Um, fortunately, I, I got through the the canyon out the other end. And, and, and into the clean air. And by the time I got to Chinle, my mind was clear again. But that, that was an interesting experience on the Navajo Reservation. Very, very interesting wow. experience. Um, and uh, so, you know, from there, of course, I became a vice principal at Bass Moral Academy. I finished my master's degree at University of Southern Mississippi, which is one of the top six school administration programs in the United States. Um, Mississippi has, very, has struggling lower ed but they're mm -hmm. actually colleges and universities are actually quite excellent in that state. Um, 
and um, had amazing professors. And I think I've shared this in a sermon. I had one professor, his name was Dr. Willie Stokes. Right. And he was the, um, he was the superintendent of a school system. That he was an adjunct professor in the summers, but he was a superintendent of a school system that had more kids in it than all the kids in all the Adventist schools in North America. Mm. Now, I'll never forget one day, he, well, most of the public school um, administrators actually are coaches before they become administrators um, because they want people who can lead a team. Right. And Dr. Stokes had his, his teams, both in high school and college, had won so many championships that he had a championship ring on every single one of the fingers of, <laughs> on both of his hands. Oh, wow. Okay. And when Dr. Stokes was going to make a statement that was, um, that was worth listening to, he'd actually click his rings together, go clack, 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 and the whole class would go quiet. Mm. to listen to to the wisdom we were going to get from Dr. Stokes. <laughs> and this was a public university, right? Right. And Dr. Stokes clacked his hands and he looked at us and he said, I've had good teachers working for me all my life. Mm -hmm. And I've had great teachers working for me. And he said, the difference between the good teachers and the great teachers are my great teachers are all born again Christians. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow. What a that was in the state yeah. university by one of the greatest professors and, and a, a superintendent of schools. Um, and, and his classes, everything he ever said in his classes, I still remember to this day. I still have my notebooks with the notes I took from his classes in, in uh, way, way back then. And um, that stuck with me mm. because, you know, as, as a, a school administrators, we do set the tone on our campuses. That's true. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we we not only set the tone for our students but we set the tone for our for our teachers yeah. and by setting the tone for our students and the teachers we actually begin to set the tone for what happens in people's homes that's true yeah more so than any other profession in fact if you're running your school properly as as a christian school it is a 180 day a year evangelistic series for your students yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and so I found my ministry and my niche and what the Lord uh, wanted me to do, even though I went into it kicking and screaming in being a school principal. <laughs> yeah. right. And the Lord has, has sent me from one struggling school to the next for me to turn around. There's always been something to fix. There's always been something to improve. There's always been something to make better. I have turned uh, two junior academies into academies over the course of my career. Mm -hmm. um, I have, I've been sent by the Florida Conference to come down here to do everything humanly possible to build an academy here in Broward County. Right. And we're, we're trying to get that done with the conference and we're looking yeah. for property and trying to start a school down here. And that's why they, that, that's why they've sent me uh, that. That's why they sent me. That's why they want me down here. Yeah. And, um, and the Lord gives us these challenges in our lives in order to make a difference because one day everything that we've done and everything that we've collected and, and, and all the things in life are going to be completely meaningless except for the souls that we've touched for Jesus Christ. Amen. It's true. That's it. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. it. Right. And so many times we're running around trying to do many other things. And I know, and, and, and I love my wife and she loves me, but she gets grumpy because I've been offered jobs that pay a lot of more money. Mm. Um, there was a two year period after I was principal at, at, um, at the, uh, the Academy in Ohio where I just needed a break and I was in private business for two years. And uh, the company who I was working for, they were about to more than double my wages. And I was making about $65,000 a year. Right. They wanted to double my wages and, and move me into, into management for them, opening up new uh, franchises for them around the United States. Right. And I called Frank Reynolds. I said, Frank, they're about to offer me $120,000 a year. Please get me back into Adventist work because once I'm making that kind of money, it'll be too hard for me to leave because I'll end up getting in debt and all those kinds of things that happen when you, when you do. I said, just, just get me back. And so he put me in Tampa and, and allowed me to help get that academy started in Tampa and then uh, has brought me down here. Because for me, it's not about the money. Right. It just isn't. Right. It isn't. Mm -hmm. I, 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 would, I would be happy to be living under an over, overpass in a cardboard box 
if I knew Jesus was there. Amen. Yeah. Amen. That, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's what it's all about. Because, you know, we've got to live our lives with certainty that Jesus is coming again. Amen. With certainty Amen. that he's coming yeah. again. Yeah. And, and when we are certain that he's coming again, a lot of the things that seem so important in this world aren't that important anymore. Amen. Exactly. And believe me, I've got the same desires and likes of everybody else. Listen, I would love to be driving a Dodge, a Dodge Challenger Hellcat edition. Yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't trade hearing the laughter of my students. Man. Yeah. For a Dodge Challenger Hellcat. And I, and I know that car would be a red car, right? It'd be red. It had to be red, right? It, it would it would be that 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 deep maroon, <laughs> okay, with a with the black stripe that with doesn't go right stripe. down the middle, but just to yep. the left hand side that goes over the, the, the yep. whole car. Yep, yep, yep. That that that's the one. That's the one. And then it would have have the black Hellcat emblem swooping down the side of. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. <laughs> Wow. Uh, but I but I but I wouldn't I, I wouldn't want to drive one. Mm. If it would mean that I wouldn't be able to hear the laughter of my students. That is the happiest sound to right. me on earth. Right. The laughter of my students to see my kids come in every single day and they can't wait to come to school and they can't wait to give their principal a hug. Mm. There are very, very few principals out there. Mm-hmm whose kids can't wait to get there in the morning to give you a hug. Right, right. There's not a lot, right. not a lot. And, and, it's, and the only thing that separates me from them is that I love my students. I love, and all principals will say, I do the job because I love my students. No, I really love my students. Like they were my own children, I love my students. And, uh, and, and everything I do comes out of that. And I will, I will tell, Anybody, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher, whether you're a Sabbath school teacher, whether you're a pastor, when you truly love the people who you're dealing with, a lot of other issues that pop up for other people don't happen with you. Right, right. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what school I've been. I've never had huge discipline problems at my schools. Mm -hmm. Because I love my students right. and my students don't want to let me down. You know, if somebody truly loves you, you don't want to let them down. That's if we true. truly love God, let's be real here. We would sin a whole lot less because yep. we wouldn't want to let God down. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That, that, our, that our willingness to conform to God's will is a result of our love for him. Mm-hmm. And so I try to function from that same principle with my students, that they don't want to be sent to Mr. Stevenson's office because they did something bad. They want to be sent to Mr. Stevenson's office because they did something good. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I always have something for them. It's going to be a bag of Snickers. It's going to be a, a bag, a bag <laughs> of Skittles. It's going to be a Snickers bar. It's going to be a hug and a tickle, whatever it is. Because yep. I want them to look forward to coming into my presence. And, that, and that's what God wants for us. You know, God says, you're my children. Come right. into my presence with joy and thanksgiving and, and with, um, with full certainty of my grace and love. Yep. Yep. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, that, that's kind of what, what has led me to where I am now. That's why I do what I do. That's why I look forward to... God's second coming, so I can thank him for saving my life back in that back at the Butterworth Hospital yeah. in 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 the what was then the Transkei province of South Africa in in the 1960s to allow me to serve him, the privilege of serving him, and being able to thank him every single day through my actions. Because I tell you, when when we do what we do for God. Everything we do becomes an act of worship. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, and so, you know, some people say, well, you know, I have worship once a day and that's good. Man, wake up once a day, have worship in the morning. I do too. I wake up and read my Bible every single morning. I spend an hour in the Bible every morning before my staff come into school. Mm -hmm. But let's make sure that everything we do, we do for God. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Everything. We do. Yeah. 
yeah. um, because he is what has made everything possible. He's the reason we wake up and the reason we go to sleep. And the only reason I'm alive today is because of him. Amen. And Amen. that is yep. my testimony. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, very amazing. powerful and amazing your journey. Mm. And we see how God has really sustained you mm. throughout all your years, you know, and um, brought you here to the United States. And now, you know, that, that's what's amazing because, um, you know, I grew up in Antigua and I never thought that I would be in Florida. And I'm sure yeah. you never thought you were going to be in Florida one day, you know. <laughs> so, um, and it's amazing how God bring all of us together and how we're able to work together. And it's, um, it's a privilege to work with you, you know, every time I get a chance and, and to know you, you know, not just as, as a person, but as my friend too. And yes, absolutely. We, we really appreciate, yeah, we really appreciate having you here, yeah. you know, as part of our church family and as part of our community, man. Mm -hmm. So just want to, um, just continue praying for each other and that we'll, we're all, you know, we're all striving for the same goal. Mm -hmm. and it's That's to right. live for Christ and to save souls for mm -hmm. his kingdom. So mm -hmm. thank you mm -hmm. so much again for, for spending this time with us and sharing your testimony and, mm -hmm. and giving us a little history of your story. Thank you so much. And now I know the secret of your sermons. You know, Everybody knows it now. <laughs> Everybody knows it. Knows it. <laughs> They'll know now. They'll, they'll be listening for it now. Right. <laughs> 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 right so so thank you so much again so and um so don you're gonna pray to take us home all right amazing father we thank you so much for this testimony from robert stevenson it's amazing the way that you lead him and have led him through all through his whole life from a near death experience to the part where he is actually loving and serving you every single day of his life yep. So I ask, Lord, that you'll help us to all understand that you are coming very soon and that everything that we do is so very important for us to do it to your glorification because we love you too. So help us all as we go through the rest of our evening and the rest of our lives to keep on striving, persevering, to be able to see your face and live with you forever. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All okay. right, all right, Robert. Thank you so much again mm -hmm. for spending this time with us. And um, you know what, man? One of these days, you hopefully you can get that Hellcat, and I can get I can get my uh, my M3, and we're gonna take them out German against American. There you go. There you go. Sounds like fun to me. Yeah, man. We, we're gonna go drifting, man, and see what they can do, man. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll do a little right? documentary about it. That sounds like a plan. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll have to, we'll have to make arrangements so neither of us end up in jail. Exactly. <laughs> no, no. We, 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 we'll get. We use our connections, man. And get. You know, I got some police friends. You know, I'm sure you there do you too. Go, there you go. <laughs> All right, All then. Right. So thank you again, man. And now uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, take care. We'll talk soon. Have a wonderful evening. All right. All right. Bye -bye. Bye -bye.